0: Hello, my name is Georgia Scar, and I'm Chloe Young, and we're the co-founders and co-executive directors of EcoCircle International and EcoInsights Podcast. We're here today with our guest, Ava Hedeker, the founder and executive director of Further Magazine. So Ava, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what Further Magazine is?
1: Yeah, so um, my name is Ava, and I'm a high school senior at Lane Tech. And I am part of my school sustainability club and key club. And um, some of my hobbies in my free time are tennis, running, and photography. And so Further Magazine is like an interdisciplinary environmental magazine where I work as the editor-in-chief and I help out each of our writers find out how their academic interests can connect to the environment whether it be advertising or chemistry. And uh, I also write my own articles and some recent articles that I wrote was about um, Biden's climate plan and also just like a pretty long sustainability guide for actual effective ways that people can um, become more sustainable in their day-to-day life.
2: Yeah, amazing. Um, So why did you start Further Magazine?
1: So I started mainly because I've been educating myself about the environment for about a year and a half wh- around the time when I started it. And I felt like I had all this knowledge kind of like built up inside of me that I kind of wanted to find like a platform or creative outlet to just like let it go and um, help actually like use it to help other people. And um, I also wanted to help other people realize like how important, um, it is to think about how, whatever their interests are, whether it be like in science or social studies to, um, research their own articles and help them through that process to help them like figure out non-mainstream ways that, um, that like about the environment. And so that was kind of another thing that I wanted to do is like bring people into this and help Um, research with them about different environmental topics, and yeah.
0: That's amazing, and I really like you talking about like a platform, to create platforms, I feel like especially as youth activists, it's becoming more common, but it is quite difficult to find a platform, because I think typically when you're an adult and you're an environmentalist, who has a platform, it's typically in some shape or form, it's your job, and therefore you have quite a solid platform. And I think that's what we've tried to do with ECI as well, and our blog and our podcast and, like, our initiatives. It's all about giving youth a platform to not only spread kind of the knowledge they already have, but as you were saying, kind of to discover their interests within environmentalism. Yeah. Because it's it's so intersectional.
2: Yeah. And then you were talking about how environmentalism is so interdisciplinary, and interdisciplinary. And that is so true. I mean, you can really be interested in anything and tie it to the environment. Any subject area, any career, all has something to do with sustainability, something to do with the environment. And it really is something that unites everyone, whether they know it or not. So can you kind of expand on how environmentalism is so interdisciplinary?
1: Yeah, for sure. I love to. So that's one of the, my biggest passions, I would say, in environmentalism, is to help people become aware of how, you know, not only scientists um, will help us um, stop climate change, because, you know, if that was the case, we'd already, like, be, um we would already have this um, problem, like, eliminated, because they have all the research done, the tools, technology, ready to go, but that obviously has not happened. And why hasn't that happened? Well, it's because policymakers haven't been able to initiate effective policies, not only in like the United States, but all around the world. It's really hard to, you know, um, come up with a universal climate policy when every single country is so different and has different economic resources and everything. And even another aspect is education we're not really being taught in school in like you know other subjects other than science about climate change and what we can do in our future careers um to actually help the environment which is also a very important thing that um schools need to um start focusing on i i think because you know it, it's nice to think like oh like climate change it's not gonna happen no it's already happening and we instead of just panicking about it, we just need to help kids realize what they can do with their career to help um, to help battle it as much as they can, and to hopefully um, make the world a more sustainable place. And yeah, even honestly, you can think of any career. Like um, Chloe was saying, like even an author, you can write inspiring books about like different um, communities who are being affected by climate change worse than others and help spread awareness about, you know, climate injustice and how it's easy for um, more Western countries like America to kind of put climate change like off their agenda because, you know, we're not really experiencing like the front hand like effects yet. While other countries, you know, in the Middle East are already having excruciating um, heat waves, and some thousands of people dying because of it, and eventually places becoming uninhabitable because of global warming. So, I think it's really just about how anyone can um, use their knowledge to help the environment. Like even an engineer, they can help. Um, um, they can help develop sustainable engineering practices that help make their job more sustainable and it's it's not even about like you know thinking outside of someone's career to um actually help the environment just think about okay what do I know what am I good at how can I use what I'm good at to help the environment because everyone has a strength that they can use and it's you know you don't have to like like transform yourself into a certain persona in order to help the environment. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. It's about figuring out what you are passionate about and how you can use that passion to help the planet. Yeah I love like everything that you were just saying there and
2: that's so true. Like you don't need to be a Greta Thunberg. You don't need to be an environmental activist to help the environment and I think that's really something that I think people are beginning to comprehend, but it's not there yet. And I have noticed like, I'm kind of beginning the college search now as a junior. So as I'm looking at like college websites, I'm like reading up on their sustainability, different classes they offer. And that's what I'm noticing more and more colleges are offering these sustainability classes, making it even a requirement for a lot of majors that like, don't have anything to do with sustainability like at the forefront. Um, so you can definitely tell it's improving and obviously there's youth like you who are working towards this, and George and I as well, and that's, I definitely think it's going to get better even in the next few years, where everything is going to have to be tied more to the environment.
0: Exactly, and you mentioned how we already have a lot of the scientific solutions, and that's why you don't just have to be a scientist, because we need to put these solutions into, like, tangible action, and I think although there are still like incredible scientific innovations, I feel like people use the excuse that, oh, the science isn't there yet as as an excuse for inaction. You know what I mean? There's not going to, I think everyone who doesn't want to change, they're waiting for some magical scientific solution where we just press a button and climate change is going to stop, which fingers crossed, hopefully, hopefully we find something like that. I'm not discouraging that at all. But the thing is, we really need to act now with, you know, all the imminent effects of the environmental crisis is happening, happening as we speak. And we have the science there in regards to technology and renewable resources, everything like that, you know, bioplastics, you know, just the facts that we have about climate change and how we're contributing to it and all of these different things. It's, you don't have to be a scientist to not only understand that, but to make a difference in those sci- essentially scientific fields as well. Because, you know, you can study geography and learn about politics. You can study sustainable economics. You don't even need to study sustainable economics. You can just study economics. And that can be applicable to all the different aspects of environmentalism. And I think that's really important to think about. And then we were also talking about the importance of environmental education and creating people's mindsets, because even if these scientists and these politicians are pushing and pushing and pushing, right, we can change so much of it on a kind of top-down scale which is very important you know but as well on kind of an individual level and as the future progresses and more people need to be knowledgeable about this how how do you think that environmental education can develop in schools and why do you think it's so important
1: yeah so first off i think that having environmental education in schools is important because it helps kids develop problem solving skills, which is really important because I feel like we're not really taught that much in school. At least I feel like I wasn't. And that's like a skill that is really well needed because we're going to be facing problems that no one has been faced before. And it's like, we just need to learn how to be adaptable. And also um, it's important because it helps kids develop a greater appreciation for nature and that's especially important you know for us as we live in chicago and sure we we do have parks and everything but it's not like you know we we live in a forest or something like a true like natural ecosystem and um another reason why it's so important is because how can you expect people to understand that you know global warming is happening if they've never been exposed to um actual scientific evidence that it's occurring because it's kind of easy to think that you know it's not really happening like when you go throughout your day-to-day life like because it's essentially an invisible process at least right now when we're still kind we're we're still in the more we're kind of like making our way towards the more like advanced stages of climate change but you know you can still kind of get away with not like realizing that it's happening. And of course, when we do realize that it's happening, you know, when um sea levels are rising, and we're having excruciating heat waves even worse than what we're facing today, then it'll be clear that climate change is happening. And that's going to be too late to actually like start
0: planning climate solutions. So yeah, I think, sorry, I think a lot of what is like perpetuating this cycle of ignorance is unfortunately with a lot of issues in the world this is coming through with climate change in the sense that the people who are contributing most to climate change in relation to greenhouse gases in most cases are going to be the least affected by climate change at least within the next century we're talking about you know for example um China and America are the top two countries releasing greenhouse gases however those are certainly not going to be the top two countries most affected by climate change just talking about America, America will definitely be affected by climate change, you know, with a lot of coastal cities, you know, the wheat belt moving, especially the agricultural industry in the south, but in relation to some of the worst effects of climate change, if we're talking about, you know, the polar regions, if we're talking about um, in certain areas of Africa, which are seeing extreme cases of, you know, environmental issues such as, you know, worsening drought and all of that, and we are seeing that in America, but nothing compared to what is going to happen, especially in the Southern Hemisphere. And I think this is why environmental education and compassion especially is so important because it's it's so easy, especially in cities, as you were saying, to live in this kind of ignorant bubble where we're not actually seeing the environmental crises.
2: For sure. And also another thing like with environmental education, I know, Ava, you mentioned talking about like why people love nature. That is so important and people underestimate that, you know, because if you look at everything from a negative point of view, if you just start throwing facts at people, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, people won't comprehend it. But you have to give them a reason, an incentive, a positive thing for why they should make a change, you know, why they have an impact as well, because it is so easy to say, oh, it's just one straw. Oh, it's just one plastic cup. Oh, I'm just leaving a light on for an extra 10 minutes. I mean, it's so easy to say those things. I think everyone is guilty of it, you know? But if you start incentivizing people by giving them something to look forward to, give them something to strive for rather than work against, if that makes sense, I think so many more people will make a change because people want good things for their kids, for their grandkids, for the future, you know? And if you start telling them what it could be like rather than all the negative things are gonna happen, I think people will start to make a difference, you know, and that's something you need to be focused on. You have to look at the positive side.
0: Yeah, that's an amazing point. And I think that certainly gets people more engaged, especially in an educational setting. And I think that makes it a lot less polarizing because, you know, especially with climate change, it is a very severe issue that we're really at the forefront of right now, because unfortunately, due to a myriad of reasons, which I won't go into right now, it, it has been ignored and covered up for a very long time and I think that's a huge part about why we have climate alarmism going on right now, and this is contributing to climate anxiety, which people saying climate anxiety is an effect of climate change in the sense due to its urgency, and I think that is a role, but I think this kind of climate alarmism and the way that climate change is kind of talked about is contributing to this climate anxiety and it's also making it a lot more polarizing. So It's saying, oh my gosh, all this awful stuff is going to happen and people are kind of It's really easy to say, no, this awful stuff isn't going to happen and go about your daily life. Whereas if you're saying, you know, we can have this future that's even better and get excited about it, especially, you know, within schools and the education system, that's a much better way to be. And that really makes people more excited, more engaged. And I was on this webinar the other day that was centered around, um, what was, what was the phrase they were using? It was urgency yet uh, urgency and optimism, which I prefer urgency and optimism over alarmism, because that still means we need to get on it, and we need to solve the issues, but it's in a much more positive way, and I think the only way that we're truly going to have kind of a successful environment, environmental education system implemented within schools is with this sense of urgency and optimism.
2: For sure, um, so kind of tying into what George was just saying about schools, I mean, I think we can probably assume your answer to this, but do you think that um, schools should be providing
1: environmental education? And do you have any idea about how do you think that this should be done? Yeah, for sure. So I think this this idea of environmental education can kind of like tie in with the mission of my magazine where I was talking about earlier how, you know, like every subject matter can connect to the environment. And so, why is it in schools are we mostly just talking about the environment in terms of a science perspective? You know, like I'm just, this coming from me whose um, favorite subject has never been science. Like I appreciate science for everything it's doing, but that's not the, it's not the pathway that really like interests me in the environment. I'm more interested in the social science aspect. So I think a great way that schools can easily um, improve And add um, environmental education is by having some kind of environmental connection in every single subject and not just in science class. So this can be um, done in art class, you know, creating environmental art maybe made out of um, used plastic. Or in English class, you read environmental literature and you can even um, connect this to, history class too by reading a book like losing earth which is about the 1970s and how you know scientists they basically figured everything out that we know now like what global warming is going to do to the planet and it's about how um how there was a chance to actually stop climate change but it was just a mess and it didn't happen and here we are today so you can have that in history class and even have like a Socratic seminar, like, talking about it and, like, have, um, give students a chance to um, speak out about their opinion on it, and even in math class, you know, we have all those ridiculous problems, like, oh, like, um, Bethy is um, gonna buy, like, 52 watermelons, like, you know, like, why can't we just, why can't we create environmental connections, and even that just help kids realize, oh, this is an everyday part of our life. And we need to figure out how we can solve it through math, you know? For sure. And Sorry, we just
2: at yeah. math point. I was going to say, even looking at statistics as well, and like for looking sure. at the effect of those statistics, reliability, you can definitely tie it in.
1: Yeah, for sure. And kind of um, tying into what I said earlier about how, um, you know, um, we need a better appreciation for nature. Um, I think a great way that we can do it, even um, in Chicago, is to make sure that kids go on um field trips to like the botanic gardens or um an overnight trip to like like I think my school we went to this place called Atwood, which is like kind of like a forest preserve or something. Yeah. In the suburbs and stuff like that. Like it's not that hard to do. And it's probably, you know, cheaper than renting out a whole um school bus going downtown to like a museum. And I just think if yeah, exactly if we um kind of just um naturally um develop kids appreciation for nature like it's going to be a such more productive way for them to care about climate change than just spilling all the terrible facts about what's going on for and sure. even if um it's hard for a school to get funding to go on field trips you can even just have classes outside like that's that would be so much more meaningful than you know having, being stuck inside a school all day, and um yeah, so I think all of those ways combined can help make environmental education um, much better. Um, I agree.
2: Yeah, I definitely think integrating it into every subject is necessary, you know, even if it's just like a unit or just an aspect in every unit, that's what'll make the difference, making it a repeated thing, not just you learn, um, you memorize for a test and you're done looking at climate change for the rest of your school days, you know? It needs to be a constant thing that you're constantly learning, you're constantly getting engaged and you're learning about different aspects of the environmental crisis. You know, you can learn about global health, you can learn about inequalities, you can learn about the science. And I, I really think that's what will create the next generation of leaders who can help to stop this and make the future better so no one has to face a crisis like this again.
0: Yeah, exactly. And considering like sustainability is about ensuring that things we can do, we can do forever without having continually negative effects on the planet and ourselves, that really does tie into every subject, especially with these crises becoming even more serious and even more kind of things that we have to deal with right now, you know, whether you're a politician, a businessman, a finance manager, all of those things, in some way, shape or form, when we grow up, and even now, it's gonna show up in your job, you know, even if you're handling your business's budget, right? You're gonna have to kind of assign how, for example, you're gonna, you know, be carbon neutral. Hopefully I think a lot of businesses are moving towards that and all of those different kinds of things. And I think that should be less something you learn less of on the job per se, and more of kind of in schools and more continually throughout the curriculum. And I also liked what you said about kind of like going on field trips and that kind of stuff and reconnecting with nature I think it's about having these positive, tangible experiences from a young age with nature, because it's, you know, we're not, we currently have this kind of disconnect, which I was thinking today, I was on a hike, and we had, there was all this trash littered everywhere, and I was just thinking, like, the audacity of humans just to disrespect nature like that, you know, which sounds like a very hippie thing to say, right, but it's, it's not appropriate, it's just disrespectful to the planet, which we are receiving everything from, and I think from a young, young age, where we just develop this respect for the planet that's not a complicated thing it's just about respecting the planet and understanding what it has done for us and you know if we treat it right it will treat us right and I think even with like you know school gardens and everything I think that's a great way for kids to get a tangible positive experience from a young age and you know it's shown that kind of kids using school gardens from a young age it develops healthy eating habits you know reduces food waste and it helps them kind of understand more about the environment
2: for sure and i actually i wrote an article about this about finding your why and your fire and that is so important and it's different for everyone you know why you're passionate about climate change or the environment and like what keeps you going you know and i think everyone can find that in different ways for some people it's nature for some people it's a social aspect for some people it's career i don't know it's different for everyone and it can be a really niche thing and i think it kind of schools can give students a way where they can find that, you know, not telling students why they should care, but giving students the facts, giving them all the information they need to decide that themselves. You know, I think that's a great way to move forward. But um, this has been a great conversation about environmental education and the interdisciplinary nature of environmentalism, but kind of tying it back to you um, and further. Can you kind of describe the writing process of Further, namely brainstorm, write, publish, discuss? So do the writers need any experience or can you just tell us about this
1: process? Yeah, so when I was first starting out with Further, I mostly just kind of contacted people who I thought would be interested, whereas I know that they're, you know, really passionate about economics or they're um, passionate about politics, or I just felt like, they liked writing overall and they would actually care about this. So that's kind of the how I recruited people in the beginning. And then I also opened it up um, on the Instagram asking them if people wanted to like apply. And um, I wouldn't say people need to have like, you know, quote unquote experience. Just I need to see that you have, you know, passion and that you're excited to be working with us. And honestly, that's all you really need and um you know willingness to um commit time to it and everything and so the process that i use um to help um writers develop articles is um we work one-on-one together whether that be like through facetiming or just texting like every week about like the progress they're making and um i i like honestly when i get to be able to brainstorm with um the writers because not some people do have topics already i'm like okay great you're good to go but for other people they know what they're interested in but they don't know exactly like you know how like we can connect this to the environment and so for example like there's one girl um who i was working with and so she's really passionate about politics so we kind of worked like okay how can we find like an actual connection to the environment so we thought about, oh, the Green New Deal. And that's a great topic, but we need to go, you know, another step further and to make it more specific because, you know, it's really hard to, you know, talk about everything about the Green New Deal. That's such a broad topic. You can't really fit that into one article. So we took it a step further and decided that um, it would be a good idea for her to talk about um, the common notion that, like, the Green New Deal would shrink the economy and investigate if that even would happen, because that's a really relevant controversy that's still going on today. And it's really important to help people realize that, you know, jobs still will exist with the Green New Deal. It's just a, it's just a transition to adapt for the future. And so after um we figured out her topic, um I usually have each writer, you know, um come back with a draft a week or two later and then we start the editing process so as editor-in-chief i um i honestly kind of um i don't i don't want to say tear people's pages to shreds because that sounds very negative but i just try to make as many edits and comments and suggestions as i can to make it the best it can be and that can be you know kind of hard for them because you know like i'm telling them to extend this analysis and do this and that and like it sounds very easier said than done so I try to also like tell them like I'm not trying to be mean like doing all this um like um adding all these comments like they're not like they're coming from like they're coming from good intentions and also yeah and I try to be open with the um writers and if they do have trouble with my suggestions like I just like call them up and we try to like work our way through it and I'm lucky also to have some other editors who help me as well, because it can get a little overwhelming, um, especially when our issue is about to come out. And so I feel like we have a pretty good system of getting our articles out um, and published. And um, yeah, so I do all the publishing, which is basically like, because we work through it on Google Docs. So then I just like, you know, copy and paste the final product into um, articles on our website. And I picked a website format because I thought, at first I was thinking of doing, like, PDF magazines, but then I realized, I don't know if anyone's, you know, going to, like, scroll through the whole thing, and I thought it'd be better to have more, like, in a, like, a web, interactive website type of thing, like, you know, like, even, like, Vogue, that's a magazine, but, you know, like, you can click on articles here and there, and um, there's a search bar, so, like, you know, if you want to learn about, like, economics, like, you just search that and you find articles about that. So that's why I picked that format. And um, the discussion aspect is um where um we have um about like two question discussion questions for each article, and it's just to help um promote conversation about the topic and um kind of show that like you know the um. Like the discussion about the topic doesn't end when the when you're done reading it. It's about still like thinking for yourself how like this can apply to you and like what you think and your values and I think that's a great way that we were able to um help um, about like twenty schools, I think a little bit more um to um get our articles into their curriculums because those discussion questions can help inspire teachers to figure out how they can exactly implement it into their curriculums and help engage conversation with their students.
0: Yeah, that's like, how did you get your schools directly involved with the schools? Did you like reach out to the schools? Did you have, you know, friends who are students at those schools? Or
1: Yeah, so I reached out for, to a couple. Um So first I found, you know, some like environmental clubs at other high schools across the country, and I was like, hey, like, do you think like um, anyone in your club would be interested in, um, you know, spreading um, our articles throughout your school? You can contact like a teacher. And so far, like it has been pretty, like people have been interested. And so what I do is like, I send them like a template of like what they can email to teachers. Cause I know like it can be kind of scary to um, email teachers. So I, I try to make it as easy as possible for them. And, also i also contacted my friends from other schools like i have a friend who um goes to british um i think that's where you guys go and um so i had her contact one of her teachers and to get um to get our articles involved in um your school and um even like my ap environmental science class i just um talked to our ta about it and um yeah so we and then our teacher like happily like posted it on google classroom and um, I think he said he's thinking of making extra credit assignments, like, from our articles, too, which is really cool, so it's been, I, I was a little worried starting at first, because, you know, I thought it'd be, like, pretty hard to, like, get schools to be, like, oh, this is really cool, but overall, like, it's been a good response, and I think um, some teachers actually have this, like, subscribed to our um, newsletter, and they, like, kind of comment, like, oh my god, like, I love all your articles, like, I'm using it in my class tomorrow and stuff like that. So I feel like that's really rewarding. For sure.
2: I mean, even one of our teachers sent it on like our high school team. I think we told you that last time we spoke, which is really cool as well. Cause we had like just um, spoken to you about setting up our first meeting. And then we saw that and we were like, oh my God, we know them. Um, so yeah,
0: exactly. that was really exciting. And I, I really like the point you made about like the discussion and the reflection. Cause I think that's a really key point about how you can kind of relate it back to you and it develops this like critical thinking which is really crucial as we're facing these crises and also just uh going back to when you talk about the editing process and how you tell people what needs to be edited and what doesn't um i think chloe and i have had this where we've been working with friends or people that we know or people of similar ages and it's quite difficult to provide positive criticism without trying to seem mean and i think especially as women it can be quite difficult to do that because I feel like there's this kind of atmosphere of if a woman's criticizing you you know for a lack of a better word she's being a b-word you know what I mean so I think have you ever kind of received any negative feedback to that or if not how have you prevented that from happening and prevented people from I mean not prevented allowed people to take your criticism as constructive criticism
1: yeah that's a really good point to um to call out and um Overall, I think, I think um, people do realize I'm just trying to help, at least I hope so. And if I do feel like I am, like it does look pretty mean, I, I do text them and I'm like, hey, like I'm like, I gave you a bunch of comments. Like, I mean, like all good intentions. Like, I'm not trying to sound mean in any way. I'm just trying to help you create the best article possible. I feel like by just like telling people that, it usually Um, it usually like helps them be like, okay, like, I think it'll be okay. And, um, yeah, and it is a little, I know what you mean, like trying not to sound mean. And, um, I think overall, like even us in the editors, like we've done a pretty good job. Honestly, I would say some of the editors have done a better job than me in being more positive by like making sure to add like compliments. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to do that. Like, I always kind of forget to do that part. But I think I've improved on that um, spectrum a lot by um, just, like, making sure to remember to comment on the things that I like because I think it's easy to, like, read. them like, oh, my God, that's such a good point. And, you know, you just think that, but you don't say it. So you kind of, like, leave all your, like, good thoughts about the piece to yourself and only put, like, I not the negative parts, but the things that need improvement. So it's also about, like, kind of how you, like, present, like, your viewpoint on it, too. So, yeah, I think I definitely do need to improve on that as Editor-in-Chief, but I think I'm doing a better job than in the beginning, for sure, and yeah. Yeah, amazing.
2: Um, kind of just to wrap things up, what are your plans for the future of both, kind of, personally and with further?
1: Yeah, so, personally, um, I want to major in Environmental Studies in college, which is actually an interdisciplinary um, environmental major, so it kind of fits perfect with what we were talking about, and um, career-wise, I'm thinking of um, going of pursuing an environmental career in either academia, politics, or law. I don't really know yet, but I'll, I'm excited to, like, figure that out in college, and um, in, um, in terms of a magazine, I definitely want to continue it in college and hopefully, you know, find other people that want to get involved with it. And wherever I go to college, I really want to um, pursue, um, like, grant funding from that college and um, hopefully bring our magazine to the university scale and hopefully um, create, like, a quarterly conference at the school and, um, like, where, uh, like, each writer can, you know, like, talk about their article and, like, the thought process and, like, kind of help engage everyone into a, like a discussion and I really want to emphasize how like it'll be open to all majors because I feel like that that um, aspect of the magazine where it's like you know finding your interests in whatever career path and how that applies to the environment will be even more important in a college setting. So I'm really excited about that and I still want to keep on interviewing Um, different um, climate leaders throughout um, the world. And I've been reaching out to a a couple. So um, stay tuned for more interviews. And yeah, and I'm thinking of also um, trying to recruit more writers, but I have to be careful because I don't I can't have like 50 million like articles to edit each month. So Mm -hmm. yeah, so overall, I just want to continue and expand the magazine as much as I can
2: amazing yeah so just to remind all listeners this is further magazine with earth in brackets so make sure you check them out make sure that you subscribe um but i'm pretty sure unless george unless you have anything else to add or ava
0: um i think that's all for today yeah thank you very much ava that was incredible i loved talking with you awesome. about the importance of environmental education and how you know even youth can be environmental journalists i think that's a really important thing so mm-hmm. thank you so much for talking with us i hope everyone enjoyed Yeah, and we will definitely be following your journey
2: after this.